Thank you for listening to Temporary Circumstances. I'm your host, Alina Sowers, a licensed professional counselor in Ohio. And I'm your co-host, Cora Mayfield, a licensed professional clinical counselor in Ohio. In this podcast, we will discuss many uncommon topics on all matters mental health. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to assess, diagnose, or treat a mental illness. For those services, please contact your local mental health provider. Welcome to Season 3 of Temporary Circumstances. We will be discussing various diagnoses and treatments on the season. We did a brief introduction to trauma and PTSD back on Season 1, but we're hoping to come back and talk in a little bit more detail about post-traumatic stress disorder. It's important to note that not everyone who experiences a traumatic event will go on to develop PTSD. There's two different criteria in the DSM for post-traumatic stress disorder. One is for children older than six and adults, and the other one is for children six years old and younger. Trauma symptoms can begin immediately or up to or any time throughout the lifetime of the person, but to meet the criteria for PTSD, we're talking about symptoms that are occurring more than three months after the trauma began. And just so you guys are clear, the DSM, that's our Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, um, that's what we use to diagnose mental health disorders. So for someone to meet that criteria for PTSD, there typically has to be an exposure to actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence. Do you want to expand on that some? I think sometimes people get confused when they say they have PTSD from an experience that's difficult to handle. And it's certainly possible to have trauma symptoms from lots of different kinds of stressful situations. And there are diagnoses for those stressful situations. But post-traumatic stress disorder is only for events where you are exposed to actual or threatened death, actual or threatened serious injury, or sexual assault. With PTSD, we're typically looking at experiences that happen directly to the individual that the individual witnesses or that the individual has heard that their family member has experienced. There's one other group of people that PTSD is um, prevalent in, and that is with first responders or people who see traumatic things in their jobs over and over and over again. While they may not know the people involved, it may not happen to them directly, that continued experience can create PTSD symptoms. Now, this doesn't mean people who like to watch horror films develop PTSD from that. This means people who do this on the daily basis for their occupation. And I want to mention here, too, that there is, I think, a strong aspect of shame that often plays a role in this, especially for other providers, even for emergency room doctors. I've been reading about this recently in relationship to COVID, but it it can be emergency room doctors or it can be just emergency services or it can even be therapists. And there's quite a bit of shame to that. Because I think often as professionals, we think that we should have it all together and we should be this 
prime example of great mental health and strength to our clients and our patients, but that's not necessarily the case. As as we're going to talk about in a little bit, there, there are factors that are not under a person's control as far as developing PTSD goes. And there's a number of symptoms that typically go along with that PTSD diagnosis. Um, so one of those are your intrusion symptoms. So that is your things like distressing memories of the event. Um, this could also be things like nightmares, flashbacks. Another type of symptom is avoidance symptoms. And these are very specific for PTSD. This is one of the things that I personally look for before even considering a PTSD diagnosis. This means that you are either avoiding people, places, or things that cause you to remember the event or even relive the event, or you avoid thoughts and memories as best you possibly can to avoid um, either reliving or remembering that event. Avoidance does tend to be kind of a hallmark of PTSD. We see it quite often in individuals who struggle with it. And I think it makes a lot of sense because nobody wants to remember, you know, those abnormal or awful events that have happened to them. There is also negative changes in mood that tend to go along with PTSD as well. So that can be negative beliefs about yourself or the world, or it can even be things like feelings of detachment, feeling detached from your experience or from what's going on currently. It can also include irritability or feeling angry. And I want to talk a little bit more about what Ulina just said with feeling detached These are dissociative symptoms. These are almost like those out-of-body symptoms that we've heard people talk about in the past. Anxiety and depression, we also see those often with PTSD. And I think it's important for us to know in, in those moments too, or for us to at least explore and figure out the root cause. Because sometimes clients will come in with anxiety or depression, and that's what they believe they're struggling with. But in fact, we come to find out that what they have is PTSD, and we're seeing those negative changes in mood that show up as depression or anxiety or irritability, as Cora mentioned. The next criteria would be arousal or reactivity, such as hypervigilance and difficulty sleeping. That also includes like easily startled or feeling like you're always on edge? So those are the main criteria that we look at when we look to diagnose PTSD. For children, there is less criteria that has to be met than for adults. And there are a couple differences that include dreams and reenactment and play. And like all mental health disorders, there has to be some sort of impaired functioning or distress that the um, individual is experiencing that can be impaired functioning across social, interpersonal, developmental, educational, occupational, or physical health area, or the person just feels a lot of distress, even though they're able to function. So other than post-traumatic stress disorder, there are other trauma and stress-related disorders in the same class in, in the DSM in our Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. So these are disorders that are also typically a result of trauma. 
but they have different criteria that have to be met. And those involve reactive attachment disorder, disinhibited social engagement disorder, acute stress disorder, which is often met before PTSD diagnosis, and adjustment disorders. A little bit earlier, I said that there are diagnoses for stressful events that sometimes cause trauma symptoms that don't meet the criteria for PTSD. Sometimes we'll use like other specified trauma and stressor related disorder. It's um, just means that you're experiencing a lot of trauma. You're experiencing a lot of trauma symptoms, but don't meet that full criteria. And then there's also unspecified trauma or stressor related disorder. This will probably be something that you would get if you were in a hospital setting or maybe on the first time you meet with a therapist because we don't quite have the full picture yet. So if you think that you might have a PTSD diagnosis, there are a couple different providers who can typically evaluate you for PTSD, and those would be therapists, social workers, nurse practitioners, and psychiatrists, and psychologists. So PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder can happen to anyone. It's not a sign of weakness. There's also a stigma that's associated with PTSD sometimes in certain occupations or sometimes a certain family culture. The idea that a trauma has affected you can be stigmatizing and make that person to feel even worse than they already do. The other stigma that I think is really important to address is that once you have PTSD, you will always have PTSD. That is not true. PTSD is something that is treatable. And we can, while we can't take the experience or the memories away, we can certainly help change the reaction to that experience. And there are a number of factors that can increase the chance of, that someone will develop PTSD, but many of those are not under the person's control. Some statistics from the VA to follow up on that. Uh, about seven or eight out of every 100 people will have PTSD at some point in their lives. About 8 million adults have PTSD during a given year. And this is only a small portion of those who have gone through a trauma. And we should be specific. That's 8 million adults in the U.S. And about 10 of every 100 women or 10% develop PTSD sometime in their lives compared with about 4% of men. Women are more likely to experience sexual assault and child sexual abuse. Men are more likely to experience accidents, physical assault, combat, disaster, or to witness death or injury. Child protection services in the U.S. get around 3 million reports each year. Of the reported cases, there is proof of abuse in about 30%. From that 30%, about 65% is neglect, 18% is physical abuse, 10% is sexual abuse, and 7% is psychological or mental abuse. According to the Recovery Village, about 70% of adults experience at least one traumatic event in their lifetime. Only 20% of people who have experienced that traumatic event will develop PTSD. There are a number of treatments available for PTSD and other trauma-related disorders. So some common ones are EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, or trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, 
IFS or internal family systems, or DBT, dialectical behavior therapy. And sometimes for kids, play therapy is the modality of choice when they've experienced a traumatic event. Medication and therapy tend to go hand in hand as well. Medication does help patients with PTSD also. But we do know that treatment can take anywhere from uh, several weeks to several years. I think an important thing to remember with medication, like just like there is a stigma with PTSD at all, taking medication because of a trauma has its own stigma. Medication in this in this sense should be considered like a bridge. It helps you be functional enough to do the therapy. For example, let's say you can't fall asleep because of you've had trauma and you have nightmares because you've had trauma. And so you're not sleeping and then you try to come to therapy and you haven't slept for days. You're not in a mental place to make use of your therapy time. With medication, maybe you can sleep then you can make use of that therapy. Absolutely. I also mentioned that it could take anywhere from weeks to years for treatment to help. And I don't want that to sound discouraging, although sometimes therapy does take time. It doesn't necessarily mean that it will take you a really long time. You know, sometimes individuals come in and they may have years of trauma that happened to them. However, it is possible that if we process some and not all of those memories, that you will already start to feel better. It's not necess- doesn't necessarily mean that we will have to process every single bad thing that's ever happened to you, though it is possible that we might have to for you to feel as good as you want to feel. And I think that's the important part is that it's not that it'll take years to have any relief. It's that it may take longer to have your new normal, as we're all getting used to saying, or being that person who's come through it and is at a place where they feel like they can have control of their life again. Typically with therapy, within a few sessions, you start to feel at least some relief. So when we talk about trauma treatment, a lot of times we use the term trauma-focused therapy, and that is a highly recommended type of treatment for PTSD. And what we mean by that is that the treatment focuses on the memory of the traumatic event or its meaning. And so there are different techniques to help you process those traumatic experiences. We, we talked about EMDR specifically before, but some of those treatments involve visualizing, talking, or thinking about the traumatic memory. And then others focus on changing unhelpful beliefs about the trauma. Some of the trauma-focused psychotherapies, and again, this isn't everything, but some of those with the strongest evidence are prolonged exposure, it teaches you how to gain control by facing your negative feelings. It involves talking about your trauma with the provider and doing some things that you normally avoid about the trauma. A lot of times this also involves visualizing that trauma. Cognitive processing therapy is another one. This one teaches you to reframe negative thoughts about the trauma. It involves talking with your provider about your negative thoughts and doing short writing assignments. And then the one that we've discussed before, both Alina and I use EMDR in our practice. Um, we both fully believe in this treatment. EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, helps you process and make sense of the trauma and what involves calling the trauma to mind 
while paying attention to the back and forth movement or sound like a finger or a touch or a light or a tone. And then it involves actually reprocessing that belief as well. So a study from 2003 found that as many as 46% of people with PTSD improved within six weeks of beginning therapy. Researchers also found that as many as 62% of people receiving medication for PTSD show improvement. So what can you do if you know someone who has been through a traumatic event or if someone tells you about one? I think the most important things you can do is just show care and compassion and and validate the person's experience. And what I mean by that is just acknowledging their experience, letting them know that how they feel and maybe their symptoms make sense. What you don't want to do is be dismissive in a moment when someone shares with you that something terrible happened to them, because that can cause them quite a bit more pain, and that invalidation can be hurtful. Another thing to consider is how far away, how far removed are you from this traumatic event? If someone's telling you about a traumatic event that they experienced, then sometimes something to consider are the basic needs of this person currently being met. So you may need to help them find a place to stay or help them have a meal or help them find clothes for their children, something like that. Give resources if you know them or help out yourself if you can. But that meeting that basic need is the absolute first thing in trauma treatment. And finally, I would always recommend that your loved one get some professional help, such as counseling or medication management or both. So that's the short version of PTSD and the treatments for it. Alina and I can talk about PTSD all day and and do sometimes. (laughs) But if you have any questions about PTSD in general, please leave them in the comments wherever you found us. Thanks for listening to Temporary Circumstances. Find us on Instagram and leave us a review wherever you found us.